0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Expectations are kind of a a big deal. Expectations are kind of a big deal in all of life. I mean, man, you're coming home from work. You tell your wife you'll be home at 4.30. She's going to have dinner at 6, and you show up at 7.30. How's that work out for you? Excellent, I'm sure. If you tell her you're coming home at... 5.30 and show up at 4.30, that might work a little better. So the moral of that story is just tell your wife you'll be home at 7 every night and show up early, okay? But Christmas, we kind of have expectations of what it's going to look like. We kind of are expecting this. You got the grandparents there, mom and dad, the kids, a perfect meal, dogs there underneath getting crumbs from the table. Neighbors catch out back and I have a heart trap. But that last part, I didn't mean for that to be out loud. I'm sorry. See, we expect it to be perfect. But really at Christmas, most of us get something like this. We've we've all got Cousin Eddie in our family. I was seeing some of you come in this morning and I thought, yeah, that, that guy's his family's Cousin Eddie. See, expectations are important to remember when we think about the Christmas story. Because the Incarnation occurred in a way that so many were not expecting. It's important to remember that and think about it because it comes in the center of a story. See, some people read the Bible primarily as a book of rules that ought to be followed or kind of as a list of heroes that we ought to emulate. And, you know, there are some principles there and there are some heroes. The problem is we don't follow the rules. We fail at that, and all those heroes that we read about, they're failures just like us. Context really, really matters, and to help us think about that, let me, let me tell you something, in case you didn't know, there's some real big news that's going to come out in the sports world today. Men, you probably weren't aware of that. And anybody talking about news in the sports world today? And what if I told you that that news was this? New Zealand just beat Pakistan yesterday, and their 20 by 20 cricket match. Is that is that the news you're expecting? No. Now we we hear cricket, we think they left in early November, right? Now people are thinking about this this playoff that you know. As a Texas fan, I think it ought to be expanded to 45 teams, right? See, we're part of a story. And these people who were waiting on the Messiah were part of a story, and this sits at the center of it. God had been telling this story for centuries through his people and to his people. And so there they are in the Middle East, the beginning of first century or the end of first century BC, waiting for this Messiah who's going to come and set all things right. See, you could look as far back as the garden to think about the Messiah that would come. Maybe they heard that story of the offspring that would come and bruise the serpent's heel. Or maybe after the Exodus, they were looking for a prophet like Moses who would come and deliver his people. Or maybe someone who would free them and take them into the promised land and conquer their enemies like Joshua did. Or maybe a deliverer like the Lord rose up and the judges. Or maybe a kinsman redeemer like Boaz. Or maybe a gentle shepherd and a righteous king like David. Maybe someone just to lead them out of exile. See, they they came out of exile, but still with Roman occupation, they're exiled in their own land. So they had expectations of a Messiah. They had expectations of a Messiah who would come conquer their enemies and exalt Israel. So that's why when Stephen preached a couple of weeks ago on Peter and John and the Jewish leaders who were so angry at them and wanted to stone them, it was because the Messiah, Jesus, had not met their expectations. Or last week when Gary spoke about Stephen preaching this great sermon before he stoned, the Jesus he was speaking of wasn't the Jesus those leaders were looking for. And so, over this next three weeks, we'll talk about the unexpected Messiah. Today, we're going to talk about the unexpected Savior. And the unexpected Savior came with an unexpected announcement. So let's read Matthew 1.17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his, he will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them at what time the star had appeared. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you that the Messiah has come. We thank you for this unexpected announcement that Joseph got and for how he responded to it. And God, as a people who, in a broken world, need good news, help us respond well to this reality that the Messiah has come and everything is changing. Everything's changing. God, let us be a people who are about bringing that transformation into the world while we wait for you to come again. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Joseph, grew up in Galilee, learned carpentry from his father. He's got a nice little business going. If he he hasn't met the girl of his dreams, at least he's got a girl with an arranged marriage his parents set up because that's how they would do it in their culture. And things are, are working out really, really well. And then one day, Mary comes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant. Hey, but it's okay. The baby is God's. Right. Husbands, what, what would you do? If your wife came to you and said, Hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. And by the way, the baby's God's, okay? Not yours, but it's God's. It might cause a little tension in the house, maybe. If that happened, we could say now, well, we that happened once and it's already happened. It's not happening again. We know that. If you're looking the scripture enough, you might see that it's coming. But can you imagine what it would be like? Joseph's embarrassed, he doesn't believe her, he's a righteous man, he's going to divorce her. He's looking at her funny. Maybe Mary's dad's looking at him funny. But people want to know what's going on. What in the world is going on? How would you advise Joseph? What would you tell him to do? If you're a friend of his or someone he's seeking counsel from, I don't don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's easy now that we've read the story what to do. But I, I don't think Joseph needs advice. I think he needs... Good news. See, he was expecting a wedding and instead he got a pregnant girl on a donkey on a long journey. He was expecting a bridal gown and instead he's looking at a baby bump. And then he gets this announcement that is a very unexpected development and a much larger story. Messiah was coming, but I mean not like this and this announcement changes everything he's got a girl he's going to get married to and he's about to divorce her because when you were betrothed it was such a serious commitment if you're ending it you're divorcing it and this news changes that it changes everything but then this news means there's this time of waiting there's still a time of waiting What will become of this baby? What's this going to look like? What will life be like? How are people going to speak about us in our community? Will anybody believe it? There's this time of waiting for the news that has been declared to come to fruition. It's kind of similar to Israel. They're waiting. They know Messiah is coming. But what's that going to look like? What are they to do in the meantime? And Joseph hears from this Angel, but surely not this way. And for so many in Israel, Jesus would not be the Messiah they were expecting. They wanted a king on a throne, not a stench in a stable. It was an unexpected announcement. It was unexpected as an announcement, and He would be an unexpected deliverer. He would be an unexpected deliverer. There in Matthew one twenty-one, He says, You shall call... His name, Jesus, for He will save His people from what? What's He going to save His people from? From their sins. See, this would have been odd, I think, to Israel because they wanted deliverance, but their sins wouldn't have been chief on their mind. They had a great system in place, this sacrificial system that's working where the blood of bulls and goats and doves are offered as sacrifices and the temple's is the center of religious life, what they needed was deliverance from Rome. But Matthew says you're to call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Now that's an interesting thing with a name like Jesus. Jesus, we get the Greek form of Yeshua or Joshua. So here are these people in this story, And they hear, you shall call his name Yeshua or Joshua. He will save his people from. Now when they heard Joshua, what do you suppose it made them think of? Well, I don't know. Maybe Joshua? See, he's going to take us to the promised land. He's going to help us to conquer all of our enemies. He was going to help them conquer their greatest enemy. See, they would have thought Jericho and crushed Canaanites, and it would translate into crushed Romans, and the Promised Land being in the rightful hands of the Jews, not some puppet King Herod. But the deliverance they needed was far, far greater than from the Romans. It was from their own sin. One author says it this way, we do read this Bible as a single great story, but prior to Christ's coming, it was a story in search of an ending. It was about how God the Creator called the people Israel to be His, but not for their own sake. He called them and made them special so that through them He could rescue the world, the human race, and the whole creation from the appalling mess that had come about. Trouble was, the people who were supposed to be carrying forward this divine rescue operation, they needed rescuing themselves. They shared in the same mess, the same rebellion against God, the same corruption and wickedness as the rest of humankind. See, they thought they had a system that worked. But the writer of Hebrews tells us this, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sins. See, there were ditches dug for blood to flow, but their sins were more numerous than all the sacrifices they would make. It was impossible. If it had worked, if anybody could have done it, Paul tells us he could. He tried, and in fact, he succeeded at the system. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous for the law. But he says, all that that was gained to me, I consider it rubbish or dung compared to knowing Christ, to knowing the Messiah. Because he understood what he needed deliverance from. What we all need deliverance from is our own sin. Don't we all tend to kind of think that same way, though? We, we tend to spend an awful lot of time doing activities that look really, really religious or Christian, making sure we're measuring up to God and others morally. Don't we try to perform in such a way that really God will owe us forgiveness or even more, maybe the life we've always wanted? He shall save His people from their sins. He was an unexpected announcement that came, an unexpected deliverer, and ultimately He was an unexpected king. He was an unexpected king. Now, it's not that they shouldn't have been expecting him. Look in Matthew 2.6 there. Matthew's quoting Micah. But you, O Bethlehem... See, those religious leaders are in Jerusalem. They know the Scripture, but they're not looking where they ought to be looking. You, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth... Is from old, from ancient of days. Now Matthew changes it up a little bit. You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Matthew says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Why? For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, the religious leaders were not expecting the king to come, though they had the word right there in front of them telling them where he was coming. The Magi knew it. These pagan kings had traveled months to come and see where the Christ was born. And when Herod heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he was troubled. And there's a reason Herod was troubled. He had heard news like this before. Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 or 43 B.C. And his adopted son, Octavian, who would become Augustus Caesar and Mark Antony, they went together after those who had killed Julius Caesar. You guys know this story, this historical account. You all read it in Shakespeare, right? Well, Mark Antony and Augustus have a clash of their own and Herod... Is this king that's been inserted by Mark Anthony to rule over Israel, Herod the Great? But Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, they're driven to Egypt where they'll eventually commit suicide. And so Augustus sends people, the new, the first true Roman emperor, sends them to Herod. And Herod's kind of got two choices when he hears good news Caesar is Lord. He can try to fight this, or he can beg for mercy. And so what he does is he says to Augustus Caesar, don't think about whose friend I was. Think about what a loyal friend I've been to him. Be merciful, and I'll be a loyal friend to you. And so Herod continues to rule, and he's ruling and ruling and ruling under this Roman authority. And then the wise men say, tell us where this one has been born, the king of the Jews. And Herod understood he had come to take His throne and usurp His authority. And the truth is for us today, if you're trying to build your own little kingdom and if you want to insert yourself at the center of the story or make this God story really just about you, the king has come and He will take over your throne and usurp your authority. See, he was not the king. Herod was expecting. He was not the king. These leaders were expecting Why is it so hard? Because they had developed in their mind a Messiah who would be a means to their end. See, they were expecting something like this. They weren't expecting something like this. Expectations are a big thing. They're a big thing. We all understand how expectations can disappoint us. When we got married, my wife was expecting something like this. <laughs> and instead, she got something like this. See, one author says this all that Israel needed, study of the law, good works, lay within the reach of everyone. And all Israel hoped for was national restoration and glory. Sound familiar? We just want good folks with good works and national restoration and glory. Everything else was but a means to those ends. The Messiah Himself, only the grand instrument in attaining them. Thus viewed, the picture painted would be of Israel's exaltation rather than the salvation of the world. They had forgotten what they were here for. Their expectations weren't met. We ought to remember that. Do you remember when you were 18 what you dreamed life would be like? you remember that? I bet your life's turned out exactly how you dreamed it would, hasn't it? Or Or what about when you were engaged or on your wedding day? Remember what you thought, man, our marriage is going to be just like this, our kids will never do this, blah, 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 blah. I bet that's turned out just how you thought it would, right? Well, if we've lived long enough, we know, no, life has a way of not meeting our expectations. See, they never dreamed of a world where Messiah and Roman occupation could coexist. And further, they never dreamed of a Messiah who would offer the Gentiles an equal footing of salvation and out of the Jews and Gentiles make one new man that we call the church today. Somewhere along the way, they forgot verses like Isaiah 49.6 where God says of the servant that is coming, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you... "...as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth." We ought to understand their misgivings. It's hard to imagine a world where Messiah and miscarriages coexist. It's hard to imagine a world where Messiah and heart disease, or Messiah and cancer, or Messiah and addiction, or Messiah and prodigal children and prodigal fathers or riotous mobs, or militarized police coexist. See, we don't dream of a world that's broken. We dream of a world where swords are shaped into plowshares, and lions lay down with lambs, and justice rolls like a river, and peace reigns in the hearts of men. But it's precisely into this brokenness that the King has come, and we better be happy about it. And here's why. See, if He didn't come the way He did the first time, there's no way He could come the way He will the second, and it'd be okay for us. If He didn't come the way He did the first time, there's no way He could come the way He will the second, and it'd be okay for us. Because the reality is, before He could save us from our enemies, He had to save us from ourselves. Before He could save us from the evil out there, He had to save us from the evil in here. And one day He will save us from that greatest enemy, death itself. But what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? See, in one sense, there's this reality that not everything will be set right until He comes and sets everything right. And in another sense, that's exactly why we're here. It's exactly why we're here. Ephesians 2 says that by grace we've been saved through faith, and it's not our own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. See, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, and they had a rescue mission they had been put on. And they just kind of laid it aside. And we're waiting for Him to come. And He's prepared good works for us to do. Great, Chase, but I, I mean, I can't bring peace on earth. Okay. Could you bring peace to your neighborhood? Could you bring peace to your office? Could you bring peace around that Christmas dinner table? Could you bring peace to your bedroom? Could you forgive? Could you ask for forgiveness? See, there will never be peace on earth if God's people aren't peacemakers who are seeking peace. Well, Chase, we can, I mean, we can help folks out. You can talk about all that, but listen, we're, we're never going to end poverty. We're always going to have the poor. You see these campaigns that say, End Poverty Now. We're, we're never going to end poverty. Well, that's right. We'll always have the poor. And Deuteronomy says, Therefore, do not neglect to do good to them. So we can't end poverty, but can we impact the poor around us? Can we love well the poor that we know? Well, Chase, those people are never going to change. I don't know who your those people are, but we've all got of those people, right? See those people? You watch the news. You know those people. Maybe they're over there. Maybe they're right here. But those people aren't ever going to change. I mean, really? So, so God could transform our hearts, but He can't transform theirs. I mean, come on. You know how sinful they are? And maybe it's those people He's called us to love. But I can't impact many people. Well, can you impact one? Can you impact some? Is there somebody you know that needs good news? That needs an unexpected announcement? That the Christ has come and everything's changing? I think that's an important question for us to answer today because... The world has an idea of what Christians look like. We see this picture played out in the media and on TV and in the courts of public opinion. This Christmas, what if we gave people a gift they're not expecting? Just like Jesus came in a day and an age where people weren't expecting what He brought. See, people are expecting some things from Christians because they see it in the media and they've just seen it played out. I don't know if you remember, but a few a few years ago, a couple of years ago, a lot of stores decided they were going to change from saying Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays. And we as Christians said, "You know what? There's nothing that says peace on earth like a good boycott." I mean, you really really think Target has promised their shareholders we're going to do all we can to exalt Christ as the Son of the Living God. Break out the holly and the ivy. I mean, is is that the way? See, it's one of those places. No, they promise to get people jobs and make money, and so we got to decide whether or not we believe capitalism is from God or our faith is true. Those two things kind of end up clashing. I mean, really, you don't get mad because somebody says happy holidays? Listen, if if that's the sort of anger we want to bring to the Christmas season, we might really need somebody to walk up to us and go, Happy Holidays. (laughs) Somebody takes the time to say Happy Holidays, maybe we can say back, Yeah, Happy Holidays. Or maybe we can say, Isn't it a happy holiday? That into this brokenness, God's Son has come. That's good news. And don't we want to be about good news this Christmas? Don't we want to shine like a light in darkness? One of my heroes, Charlie Stoner, says this. He says, it's harder and better to light a candle than it is to curse the darkness. I wonder if this Christmas we could be a gift to the world that they're not expecting And as we do, declare that the kingdom has come and the kingdom is coming. Let's pray. Well, God, no telling what folks in our workplaces, folks in our neighborhoods, folks in the shops in our town, no telling what they think of Christmas. But it's the reality that the Messiah has come and everything is changing. And that's good news. And we thank You, God, that You came to save us from our sins and to make us a people zealous for good works while we wait for You to come again. And we cry out, Come, long-expected Jesus. And while we wait, let us be faithful to be the light of the world. In Jesus' name, Amen.